Good morning, everybody. I hope everybody's having a great day so far. Today is a very special day for several reasons. Uh, first, our Mexico team is back. Let's give them a hand. Hey, if you went on that trip to Mexico, how about stand up for us? Let us see who you are. Come on, stand up. We, yes, yes, yes. I, I want to say how proud that we are to, to see all those Facebook pictures that you guys were sharing, to, to see the faces of those family, that family that you were blessing, and to know that you were being blessed as you were blessing someone else. That, that's the magic of what God does when we serve others. So we are so proud of you, glad to have you home, and hopefully we can hear a little bit more about the, the work that you did. It's also a special day because this is Lance and Aaron's last Sunday with us before Lance takes the ministry there in Wilson. And I do want to remind everybody that following our services, we're going to celebrate that by sharing a meal together. And there's plenty of food. If you didn't bring any food, we got food. So don't worry about that. So uh, at the end of our service, we'll have our normal prayer time at the end. And we'll gather around Lance and Aaron, love on them a little bit, and have prayer for the meal. And we'll just go right down the hallway and right to the meal. And then you can say all kinds of crazy stuff about Lance back there in the fellowship hall, okay? Uh, we love them and we want to bless them. And uh, thank you, thank you for serving our church so faithfully all these years. Thank you. Um, even, you, you got to give the devil his due sometimes, right? Isn't that, the, isn't that what they say? Um, so uh, also today is a very special day because it is the last day in this series that we've been doing, What If, uh, that we've been doing in July. And, okay, oh, thank you for reminding, this is Caleb's last day as our intern too. Thanks Lance for reminding me of that. <laughs> Caleb, uh, if, if you would like to buy him a steak lunch one day, <laughs> He would, he would love for you to do that. Uh, so we're, we're going to celebrate Caleb too, all right? How about that, buddy? He's done a great job of helping Lance this summer, and uh, thanks for reminding me of that. See, uh, somebody told me they had that, uh, is CRS, is that what you said? CRS? Can't remember stuff? That, that's what I got. That's what I got. But uh, getting back to what I was saying, today is the last day of this, of this series that we've been doing, and uh, it is, uh, today we're going to be talking about what if the Bible is the Word of God. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, well, of course it is, but uh, one of the reasons we're doing this study is because we've seen a trend among Christians and churches and even, even the more conservative lean-in people where we, we, we begin to buy in to the culture and what the culture is trying to tell us. And we're persuaded to water down some of the more traditional values that we've held over the years as Christians. Several studies have shown the eroding effects that our culture has had on the average Christian's theology. And I want to share some of those things with you. American evangelicals, and we would be in that group of evangelicals, but basically conservative who believe, the, you know, believe in the Bible and believe in Christ, but 
there's been a trend among evangelicals that is alarming. And uh, the, a ministry called Legionnaire Ministries and Lifeway Research did this study uh, on the views of God in 2022, the state of theology. And overall, adults in the U.S. are moving away from what we would consider orthodox understandings of God and His Word, and it is moving further and further and further away each year. For instance, more than half of the country, 53%, now believe Scripture is not literally true. And that's up from 41% when the biannual survey began in 2014. So more and more and more. Researchers called the rejection of the divine author authorship of the Bible the clearest and most consistent trend over these eight years. So people are not believing that God inspired the writing of his word. Researchers wrote this view makes it easy for individuals to accept biblical teaching that they resonate with while simultaneously rejecting any biblical teaching that is out of step with their own personal views or broader cultural values. So in other words, if, you know, I, I've been taught when I was young that I believe what the Bible says. And I need to align my beliefs and my philosophies with what the Bible says. But now more and more even Christian people are beginning to adapt to what the culture says is right and wrong. And if the Bible is in opposition to that, then we reject that teaching and we accept whatever teaching we want to hear. Now here are five of the most common mistaken beliefs that are held by many evangelical Christians today. First of all, and it's amazing to hear this, there's the belief that Jesus isn't the only way to God. 56% of evangelical responders affirm that God accepts the worship of all religions. And that answer indicates a, a, a leaning towards what we know of as universalism. In other words, God's just going to save everybody. You don't have to accept Jesus. Whatever you believe it is fine. And they bypass Jesus in the approach. In other words, we don't have to accept Jesus to be saved. And we, we talked about that the first week, but I, I just want to ask you a question. If you don't have to accept Jesus, then why in the world would God have his own son allow his own son to die on a cross? Would that not be a waste? If you can just believe anything you want, why in the world did God send Jesus? It makes no sense. But we don't want to offend anybody, and so we're going to accept what the culture pushes. The second thing that many evangelical Christians are buying into is the idea that Jesus was created by God. Now, friends, maybe even some of you have that misconception that Jesus 
was created by God rather than understanding that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one and they have existed before anything else existed. But 73% agreed with the statement that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. This is a form of a teaching known as Arianism, which became a popular heresy back in the early 4th century. It denies the deity of Christ. There is no trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that doesn't exist in that form of teaching. And if you hold on to that belief, then I believe that you're holding on to a false doctrine. Third, that Jesus is not God. This is closely related to the other. 43% affirm that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. And again, it fits into that Arian heresy. Fourth, the Holy Spirit is not a personal being. So 60% of evangelical Christians surveyed in that study believe that the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. And finally, humans aren't sinful by nature. That's almost laughable, but it is something that many, even Christians, believe. 57% of those surveyed agreed to the statement that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. So it's the idea that one sin may be worse than another sin, and so God will let us slip by with that. In other words, humans might be capable of committing individual sins, but we do not have sinful natures. And I, I would say that that denies the doctrine of sin itself. I mean, the Bible is so clear. Now, I don't know about you, but this erosion of our faith is really disturbing me. I am worried about the future of the church. I'm worried about the future of our Christian homes that are allowing the culture to determine what we believe. I think the basic issue has to do with our understanding and may I say our appreciation of the Bible. And I would call it the Word of God. The Bible is the most influential book in history. It's been read by billions of people over thousands of years. But what if the Bible is more than just a book? What if it is the Word of God? What if it contains the very words that God spoke and He wants us to know His thoughts, His attitudes, how, how He thinks about things? What difference would that make in our lives? If we get this wrong... Friends, we got everything wrong. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Shake your heads yes or no because I want to make sure I'm communicating clearly. The problem goes back to the statistics about whether people believe Scripture to be literally true. If more people believe the Bible is just a good book, it has some wise sayings in it, but not the actual words of God 
then, you know, we can just take it or leave it. It's like we can just go down the bookshelf and we can, you know, we go to Barnes and Nobles, we pick out a book. Oh, that looks nice. Eh, I'll just, I'll put that back. I won't read that. If it's just a book of historical stories, it has no power. It's just another history book. If it's just a book with nice teachings, but it isn't authoritative for our lives, then there, there is no reason for us to hold it as the authority for our life. If the Bible's not literally true, we don't have to live our lives by its teachings. And you can see how this can be problematic for a person that, who says that they are following Christ. I hope you can see that that's problematic. So what does the Bible have to say about itself? Can we rely upon the accuracy of the Bible? What are the consequences if the Bible is not true? And what are the consequences if it is true? We certainly don't have time to track down and speak to every argument against the Bible this morning. But, but I do want to share some thoughts that will hopefully stir within you a desire to learn more. Uh, I do want to, you to see today, and I'm going to just put it out there, I believe the Bible is trustworthy and that we can live our lives according to its teachings. Not only can we, but we should. But it's important to differentiate between what the Bible actually teaches and what some people claim it teaches. That is very important. So here's the big idea for this message today. The Bible is the Word of God. And by trusting in its teachings, our lives can be changed for the better. And not only our lives here today, but our eternities. Now, how many of you agree with me on that? Do y'all agree? Are we on the same page here today? This is my belief. It goes against the current culture's theology, but it is so important that we get this right. Because if we get it wrong, our lives, our eternities, our family's eternities, they are at stake. Everything else hinges on what we believe about the Scripture because it's through the Scripture that we learn about Jesus. It's through the scripture that we learn about sin. It's through the scripture that we learn about God's remedy to sin, Jesus. And I mean all scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament. What did the Bible say about itself? Paul wrote Timothy these words in 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, what does this mean? First of all, I believe it means that the Bible claims to be the very word of God. Remember when Paul wrote this, he was uh, writing primarily about the Old Testament, Y'all understand that, right? It, it, the New Testament hadn't been fully written. And so when he's talking about Scripture, 
He's talking about Old Testament and New Testament scriptures. And the Bible claims, again, there, that it is the Word of God. The writers of it claimed this had its origins in God, not in man. It's not just a collection of human writings, but it is inspired by God himself. The Bible says that all scripture is breathed out by God. And that means that every word of the Bible is from God and has the authority of God behind it. If the Bible is the word of God, then it is not just another book, but it is more important than any other book ever written in the entire world in all of history. And again, the Old Testament and the New Testament. When Paul wrote this, again, he was primarily speaking about the Old Testament, but today we have the New Testament scriptures as well. A very popular preacher is claiming that we need to unhitch our gospel messages from the Old Testament. And while I do believe a person can become a Christian based on the teachings of the New Testament, I do not believe we should disregard the Old Testament. Every time Jesus, yes, amen. Every time Jesus quoted scripture, you know what he was quoting? He was quoting the Old Testament. I, I would never say that the word that God uttered should be disregarded. God's spirit inspired the authors of scripture to write the words that they wrote. That's what God breathed means. It, it means literally inspired by God. God breathed into godly men of old to speak and to write. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Paul writes, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the what? Or that's really by the who, not a what. <laughs> by the Holy Spirit. So scripture itself has divine origins. It was not created by man, but by God's action. God used men to write down or put down in written form what he instructed them to write. And God's purpose was to help us understand his perspective. What does he think? He has told us. If you want to know, I mean, almost any question you might have on ethics and morality, on how to live, uh, the choices that we make, Almost anything that you want to know. What does God think about this? You can research that and find an answer in Scripture. He has made it clear. He has told us. He moved men to write down these thoughts. And that's basically what the Old Testament law was doing. It was instructing men on how God thought we should live. And making clear that certain things that we would do or could do were sinful in the eyes of God. They were breaking God's laws. 
Now, we might want to, we, we don't like that little three-letter word, sin. And our, and our culture tells us that we should change our opinion about what sin is. But listen, God is the one that said it. It wasn't us that came up with it. The New Testament is God revealing the gospel plan to us about how we can overcome our problem of sin. The entire Bible is the story of God's interaction with his creation. It reveals how sin entered the world. It reveals the darkness of sin. It reveals the consequences of sin. It reveals God's yearning to have relationship with mankind which sin broke. It reveals how God made a plan to bring peace between himself and man and through his son. And it reveals his plan for our eternity. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to guess. God has revealed it all in his word. But the skeptic might say, well, of course, those who wrote the Bible would say these things. They would make claims that they were inspired by God. That doesn't mean that they were truly uh, being truthful or that the Bible is reliable. So let's consider that question. We know the claims that the authors of the Bible made about the Bible. But is it reliable? And I'm just going to tell you my belief is that the Bible is reliable. Now, how do we know if it's reliable? Well, we have to test it, measure it, measure how it came together and what impact it has had upon the world. You would think that if God spoke it, it would have an influence on the world and, and, and that it would be accurate in the claims that it makes. So I want to think about this for just a few moments this morning. First of all, Thinking about the Bible, think about how unique the Bible is compared to all other books that have been written in the history of mankind. The uniqueness of it. You have to understand, because this helps us understand how it is reliable. The Bible, how many books are in the Bible? Thank you. You got a check mark over here. Um, uh, how many years did, uh, of, uh, from the beginning of the writings to the last of the writings, how many years were in the, involved in that? Anybody know? 15 to 1,600 years, okay? And how many different writers wrote the Bible? 40 writers, that's right. They lived on three separate continents and they spoke three separate languages. I want you to think about this. And yet, when you read the Bible, it's all about the same story. And it's not contradicting itself. There are no other books like it ever in the history of man. And, and secondly, the Bible is an accurate account of history. Now, it is not meant to be a history book. It, it is not a, a, just a book, as, as some people think of it, as myths and legends. But there is historical truth within its pages. And think about those thousands of years that are covered by those authors. 
And, and again, there have been skeptics who have claimed the, the Bible is inaccurate, but archaeologists eventually have discovered that what the Bible recounted was actually true. Uh, in an op-ed article from October 2021 that was written in Newsweek, uh, Eric Metaxas actually wrote about this in an article entitled, Is Archaeology Proving the Bible? And in it, he offers some astounding finds that archaeologists have discovered. Now, I want you to understand that in the early 1800s and going into the mid-1800s and early 1900s, there was a lot of skepticism about the Bible. This is when Darwinism was taking root and many people were turning against religion and theology. And so it became a popular thing to read a story in the Bible and say, oh, that's just myth, that's just fake. Uh, there's no proof that that actually happened. So in 1846... And this was even before archaeology existed as a field. An Assyrian obelisk was discovered in what is today northern Iraq. And it referred to someone named Jehu, a 9th century B.C. Hebrew king. And for the first time, an archaeological find corroborated what was in the Bible and you know, it sort of electrified the culture at the time. But this was only the first in a torrent of similar discoveries that challenged secular claims that the Bible is a collection of made-up myths and folktales. Uh, the trend of archaeology corroborating biblical accounts continued so consistently that in 1959, Rabbi Dr. Nelson Gluck declared, no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. And since then, the evidence has just kept coming in. For example, in 1961, there was an inscription found bearing the name Pilate, the earliest known reference to this figure outside of the New Testament. Before they found that, they had never seen any other historical data saying there was someone named Pilate. Many questioned, oh, the Bibles made this up, but then they discovered that it was true. 1968, a first century home in Capernaum was identified as that of the Apostle Peter. He actually existed. There's a house with materials that they discovered with his name on it. In 1990, an ossuary was found bearing the inscription and bones of Caiaphas, the high priest who infamously pushed for Jesus' execution. In 1993, a still mentioning the house of David was discovered, yanking King David out of the realm of myth and into the historical record. But, and this article was written back in September of 2021, and two weeks before the article came out, the details of perhaps the most astonishing of all finds appeared in a lengthy peer-reviewed paper in Nature Scientific Reports. Now, this is amazing. It described the cataclysmic destruction of a Middle Bronze Age city near uh, or uh, on the north of the Dead Sea and represented three years of research and technical analysis by 21 scientists 
who likely never expected to author a paper in one of the world's most prestigious scientific journals that mentioned the destruction of the biblical city of Sodom. Now, before this find, many of them doubted the story of Sodom and Gomorrah from the Old Testament. But in the end, the parallels proved impossible to ignore. For starters, the archaeologists who excavated the site had been guided there by what the Bible said about Sodom. Dr. Stephen Collins knew if the place existed, this site, today called Tal El Hammam, must be it. So in 2006, they began excavating. When he and his team got down to about 1650 B.C., when Sodom was believed destroyed, they discovered a five-foot layer of soot. Randomly scattered throughout this vast destruction matrix were bits of melted brick, burned fragments of human bones, and other baffling debris. No volcanic eruption or fire or earthquake could have produced what they discovered. The day they found it, Collins discovered the shard of a jar. A seasoned ceramic typologist, he tagged it instantly as from 1700 BC. But on one side of it, it had a strange glassy green glaze. The technology to intentionally produce something like that would not exist for another 24 centuries. What could it be? A lab in New Mexico concluded that the pottery had been melted by super intense heat lasting a very short period of time. What in the world would do that? Another perplexing fact, though the site was inhabited for millennia before this cataclysmic event, immediately afterward there was a gap of 700 years before humans would settle there again. Now, why would a site offering unmatched natural resources and military advantages be shunned for 700 years? I mean, it was unprecedented. What Dr. Collins came to believe and what the article in Nature magazine corroborated is that what happened was a cosmic airburst impact event very similar to what happened in Siberia in 1908. And that's when an asteroid of about 180 feet in diameter entered these Earth's atmosphere at 34,000 miles an hour and exploded a few miles above that largely uninhabited area. The equivalent of 1,000 Hiroshima bombs. The 1908 blast flattened 80 million trees and so disturbed the upper atmosphere that for three days, people in London could read their newspapers at midnight. The Nature article says that the tall El Hammam explosion was likely even more powerful than that. And the destruction it wrought was hard to fathom. The most powerful hurricanes produced winds as high as 200 miles an hour. But this explosion, they believe, was estimated about 700 miles an hour. Walls 
15 feet thick, were literally obliterated. The heat was such that nearly all of the thousands of inhabitants were vaporized. In fact, nature tells us that the temperature at the center of that Siberian explosion was 18,000 degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, crazy. The, tell, the tall El Hammam explosion was even hotter. And, and they believe uh, whatever charred the bone fragments survived along with melted pottery, plaster, and roofing tiles indicated that for 25 seconds, the temperature was roughly 3,500 degrees, hot enough to melt stainless steel and titanium. The Nature article concludes explicitly that what happened in 1700 BC bears inescapable parallels to what the Bible says about Sodom. Think about that. So this prestigious journal of science has admitted these things should at least make skeptics sit up and take notice. Few people, whether religious believers or skeptical scientists, ever dreamed such a thing was possible. And friends, I, I, I believe, you know, time and time again, the Bible is proven to be true and reliable. But possibly the most important fact pointing to its reliability is the enduring nature of the Bible. I mean, think about the impact the Bible has had on human history. It is unparalleled. The Bible has been translated into hundreds of languages and has been read by billions of people. It is the most read book in human history, having sold 3.9, over 3.9 billion copies over the past 50 years. The Bible has been critical in the formation of laws and policies. When we think about the values that help create our nation and laws, we realize the influence of Scripture. The Mosaic Law recorded in the Old Testament has been instrumental in helping us create our own laws. Although we are not a theocracy, the ideas about how we treat one another in society come from the Mosaic Law. The Bible was the foundation upon which human value was measured. You know, the early abolitionists who wanted to stamp out slavery in our world were mostly Christian people who believed that every person had value in the eyes of God. What taught them that lesson? Scripture. It would be dishonest of me to not include the fact that some people have twisted the Bible to meet their own agendas and they've done some pretty horrible things. Okay, that's true. Many people will take the Bible and try to use it to, you know, say, you know, make up for what they're doing. But my point is that the Bible is unlike any other book in the history of mankind because it is God-breathed. And the impact it has had on the world has been tremendous, more than any other book in all of human history. I don't have time to dig deeper into these truths, but I would encourage you to do some reading of your own. One book that is very helpful is Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And uh, I know Christy's going to be doing a study on that 
uh, in the fall. Uh, for some ladies, if any of you ladies are interested, if you're not already in a different group, um, I would encourage you to take part in that study. Uh, I think uh, Abby and Stuart are going to be doing some work with our uh, high school students, our uh, young people, uh, on some of these truths as well. But here's the point. If the Bible is the Word of God, then it is reliable and it is trustworthy. And if it is reliable and trustworthy, and this is our last thought today, the Bible can transform lives. It's not just a book of information. It is a book that if we read it and take it seriously, it can change us from the inside out. In fact, I would suggest to you that that's exactly why God wants us to have it and not just have it on a shelf somewhere, but to read it and have it in our hearts. Uh, my friend Hector Onate, some of you may know him. Hector uh, uh, used to live here in town. Uh, he's originally from Mexico. He shared with me that he grew up in a home where his mother always encouraged respect for the Bible. She would always tell the family, you know, keep, keep a Bible on your coffee table and, and have it open, you know. And, and I guess in some way she saw that as sort of a protection for her family. But what she never told them to do was to read it. <laughs> Isn't that weird? You know, keep the Bible open, uh, but never an encouragement to read. One day, uh, when he was a young man, he was going through some difficult times, and he, he was wanting to seek God's wisdom. And he decided, you know, why don't I read that book? Why don't I read that book? <laughs> and so he began to read. And to his amazement, he began to learn from God's wisdom how to deal with the very situation he was in. And so after that got cleared up, he decided, well, look, that was so good. Why don't I just keep reading? And he did. And eventually... It led him to accept Christ and become a Christian. Isn't that amazing? What the Word of God can do? Because it is the Word of God that is calling us out of the world into a relationship with Jesus. Now, his family happened to run some restaurants called Mazatlan. Anybody ever eat at Mazatlan restaurants? That is his family. And, and that's how we met. Uh, Christy and I, we love to eat in that restaurant. And in fact, uh, right after Alyssa was born, we took a trip to Mazatlan and found out that the food he fixed was better than what we had there. But anyway, you know, <laughs> he came to believe that God wanted him to have a family restaurant without the liquor. Now the rest of his family were telling, you are a fool. You're an idiot. The only way you can make money in the restaurant business is by selling alcohol. But he told them that he felt God was leading him to this decision. And if God wanted him to succeed, that he would. He just wanted to be faithful to what he believed God wanted him to do. And so he started his own restaurant. Later, they would name their restaurant La Ribera. And if you've eaten at La Ribera, you know they don't have alcohol in their restaurants. Now, some of you might not like that idea, 
But he felt compelled by God to have a family restaurant. He now has five restaurants. I'd say God answered that question. He also is not open on Sundays because he wants his employees to be able to worship God. And they have Bible studies that they offer to folks as well. And he is now a full-time pastor today. I think you could say it, it all goes back to when he was a young man and he saw that book opened on his table and he decided to read it. It wasn't enough just to have it open. He needed to ingest it, to eat it, if you will. The Bible says that it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Friends, we have to understand the Word of God is a powerful tool for the Holy Spirit to use when we genuinely open it and read it. It reminds me of what Hebrews 4.12 tells us. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The Bible can teach us about God's love and God's grace. It can reprove us when we are in the wrong. It can correct us when we are off course. And it can train us to live a life of righteousness that honors and glorifies God. If the Bible is the word of God, then it has the power to change our lives. And that's why David would write over 3,000 years ago, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. It's still true today. The Bible does have the power to change us, but too many of us are so familiar with it that sometimes its power is lost on us. We're no longer amazed by it. We're no longer shocked by it. We're no longer moved by the God story. Think about what it would be like to hear God's word for the very first time. I want to close with this story about a man named Nard Pugyao. He shared this. In March of 1956, when I was about six, not me, Nard, okay? <laughs> a tall, pale, white man stumbled into my home village of Dibigat in the northern jungles of the Philippine island of Luzon. The man didn't speak our language, so our elders asked him the best that they knew how, why are you here? He said, I've come to learn your language. I'd like to write it down and then give you God's word in your language. And the elders asked him, well, who is your God? And he told them he is the God of heaven and earth. He is God, the creator of the universe. He created you too. And they asked, is he powerful? More powerful than the spirits that have controlled our lives from the beginning of time. Is he more powerful than our ancestors, the headhunters? Yes, he's more powerful. 
Now, hopeful, we started teaching this man, Dick Rowe, our language. Maybe his God could free us from the spirits. When I was about 13, Dick had to return to the United States to raise support for his ministry. But before he went back, he translated the Gospel of Mark and gave me a copy. copy. And while he was gone, I started reading the Bible for the very first time, beginning with the Easter story and continuing through chapter 16. Sitting on a rock, I read the Gospel of Mark in my heart language, It felt like I was actually there seeing the characters. But the further I read, the more distressed I felt. A mob of people came to get Jesus out of the Garden of Gethsemane. What did he he do wrong? I read as fast as I could. They accused him of all kinds of false things. They mocked him. They spat upon him. They beat him. They took him before Pilate. And then the scourge and the crown of thorns, it was excruciating to read that they forced him to carry a wooden cross and they nailed him to it. Deep in my heart, a hatred of God swelled. I shook my fist and I shouted, I hate you, God, for being so powerless. Why should I believe in a powerless God like you? With all my strength, I threw the gospel of Mark down the rocks and started walking away. I couldn't understand why God wouldn't protect his own son. Our headhunters defended us to the death. Because of them, no one could touch us. I wanted a God like that, someone who would protect me from the spirits that demanded we sacrifice our cows and chickens and pigs and dogs. This God didn't even save his own son. And suddenly God reached down into my heart, nard. Don't you understand? I heard him say, that's how much I love you. I gave my son on your behalf. And for the first time, I understood the gospel. I understood how much God loved me. And I prayed, God, if you love me that much, I want to give my life, my heart. It's all yours. And I went back and I picked up my gospel, I brushed it off, and I sat back on that rock to see what happened next. And it was an incredible moment as I read that Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. Nobody in all Dibagat, no, nobody from among the Isnag people had ever risen from the grave. The resurrection story changed my life. Now, friends, think about what it would be like to read the Bible like that. What a powerful story of the life-changing effect of the Word of God. And Nard would go on to become a powerful preacher because he read the words of God. It can change your life too. This is one reason we support Shauna Marianne Cooper, who served Pioneer Bible Translators. I'm so proud we were a part of that process of getting God's Word into the hands of people that have never read it in their own language. But we need to reevaluate our interaction with the Word of God. Have you been transformed by the power of God's Word? Friends, what, what if the Bible is the Word of God? What if it is more than just a book? What if it is more important than any other book in all of history? I mean, we go to school. We, we are assigned reading books. Are you reading the Bible? 
Are you letting it become a part of your daily life? If the Bible is the word of God, it is reliable, it is trustworthy, and it has power to transform our lives. So let's read it with an open heart, open mind. Let us allow it to speak to us and change us because it truly is the word of God. And by trusting in it, our lives will be better, not just for today, but for eternity. Father, I come to you and I thank you for your word, for allowing us the opportunity to know what you think about things, to, to, to see what sin is and to realize how it has affected us and separated us from you and to understand, Father, that you weren't willing that we die apart from you, but you gave us uh, your son and he died for us and he rose from the grave and he's coming back again. Your word gives us all of that information. And I pray, Father, that the life-changing power of your word would be proven true in the lives of everyone that is here today, everyone that's listening online. I pray that our hearts would be changed as we open up our minds to what you have to tell us. Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't understand this, that has never accepted you or has never really believed in you, or maybe we're buying into what the culture is telling us we should do, I pray, God, that you would move in our hearts and in our lives and change us. It's in Jesus' name that we've been.